0: Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast. Each week, the three of us arrange ourselves around the desk of insight to talk through three of the major news stories of the week. And the three of us are me, uh, I'm Chris Bowne, the web editor at Hotel Analyst. There's Andrew Sankster, the editorial director at Hotel Analyst. And Catherine Dogrell who writes the perspectives at Hotel Analyst. Uh, we're based in the UK uh, we think about and talk about the hotel market globally and if you'd like more of what you hear then please do pop along to hotelanalyst.co.uk where you can subscribe to read in more detail about what we're going to discuss. This week we have three topics for perusal they are Intercontinental Hotels buying six senses, Uh, then there's Whitbread and its Investor Day and what we learned from there and finally the Competition and Markets Authority which has laid down the law uh, against the online travel agents. First off, uh, let's talk about uh, Intercontinental. And uh, Keith Bars had his checkbook out. He's paid three hundred million dollars for Six Senses Hotels, Resorts, and Spas. Catherine, what's that got him?
1: well it's very exciting um, they're going to expand it from 16 sites to 60 and I think it's fair to say that in the past I have not been overly enthused by IHG's antics it's not very interesting I don't really know where it's going and obviously they're all there to please me and keep me amused it's nothing to do with running a business um, but in this case you can consider me amused six senses is a bona fide loyalty driving a man style destination resort brand um, they're keeping the management which is great um, it comes with a side of of residential properties which is even more exciting um, and IHG tells me that uh, indeed they'll be keeping those and learning from what they can in terms of their other brands so much to learn from there much to expand IHG finally has um, a competitive luxury brand it's very exciting I quite like this deal so there Hmm. Andrew does not.
2: <laughs> I, no, I, I do like it. I just don't think it's that exciting. I'm not overly excited. Well, about
1: compared this. to past things that my IHG might have done, this is a. What, like a, buying Regent? I have nothing against Regent, but, <laughs> but uh, see, I, I don't know if well, it can kind of, kind of get to the scale that they were hoping as quickly as they can. And But this, it's a some thing. Of the,
2: some of the domestic, homegrown, when I say domestic, I mean in terms of it being within the company. Um, Brand development, I think, I H G has done quite well. Huelux and um, um, Voco and that kind of stuff, you know, that's been great. I think. I don't think it's been unexciting in that regard. Um, I think the issue here is you're paying three hundred million in cash for a business that is loss-making, and we all know that um, plans very rarely um, come to the fruition. look at what happened when they bought Kimpton look at how many management contracts they lost um, after they bedded in that acquisition and I suspect many of those 60 planned resorts will not happen nonetheless I agree with you Catherine I think this is a sensible deal from IHG's perspective in adding a little bit more um, Um, class at the top end of its portfolio Um, it's not hugely meaningful in terms of numbers Um, the the turnover that they're buying here is what 13 million us dollars Um, even if they do deliver on all the growth they're anticipating they're only seeing um, revenues up at 28 million, this is not exactly earth shattering um, in terms of what it's delivering financially to IHG, um, and they paid a pretty rich price for it. Um, even if you put aside the, the loss making aspects of the business, um, you've got to go do some sort of heroic financial. Engineering to conjure up a semi acceptable multiple. Um, Morgan Stanley had a go. Um, They knocked off 75 million from that 300 million purchase price for saying that there's tax benefits to IHG here um, so effectively it's a 225 million purchase price um, and then if you do buy into all of the growth story you can so- sort of get to something like 16 times EBITDA but I th- I, that's a stretch um, But so it's, it's not entirely bonkers in terms of valuation um, but it, 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 and, it, and it makes sense um, in a small way in terms of the, the brand strategy. But it, it's not something that I'm going to start jumping up and down in joy about.
0: Oh dear. Well, let's see if we can excite ourselves a little bit more by talking about Whitbread, although I did see someone this week calling them more of a Mondeo than a Maserati in terms of their shares. Um, But uh, Catherine, what did we learn uh, from the Investor Day? Um, Well, we learned not least how much they're going to, how many billions they're going to spend buying back their shares, didn't we? Uh,
1: Yes. So, you know, following on from IHG, I could not have been more bored. but um so what we learned is is was nothing particularly exciting um they would yes they're now looking to return at least 2.5 billion to their shareholders and the only the only kind of the light at the end of this kind of very small german tunnel is um this which is it's no autobahn let me tell you um (laughs) there's um they said it would be a subject to any other more value creating alternatives so the clock is ticking people if you can come up with more value creating alternatives before they uh fling back this 2.5 billion, then please, please do, uh, because I can't bear any longer, but uh, yes, they continue to target Germany. They continue to not buy anything in Germany. They provided a very handy slide featuring lots of different brands <laughs> who are dominant in Germany, um, which was you know basically a, an m guide what you could possibly buy. And they showed the slide, it was very exciting, and then they're not buying any of them. It was all very disappointing. Um, so yes, Germany continues to be the great hope, and hopefully for them, their shareholders will be... Uh, distracted for long enough. Um, obviously Elliot have been very very active in uh, pushing through the cost of sale. <clears throat> Hopefully they'll be distracted by, uh, by the buyback, but something tells me they may not be. In the meantime, no one else is buying Whitbread. It's quite pricey. No one seems to want it. All in all, not an exhilarating day out.
2: I don't think boring is bad. Um, When it comes to my pension, I certainly don't think boring is bad. And Whitbread is the sort of company I wouldn't object to having my pension in. and I actually think there was more excitement to be gleaned in this <laughs> um, capital markets day than than you're giving them credit for, Catherine. Because I, I think that they tripled they tripled their target for Germany uh, from twenty thousand rooms to sixty
1: thousand rooms, and that's a significant upgrade. And it is, 60, but at the moment they have they have, have one on. hotel open, so you can't say, "Oh, look at the target." If you don't take the um, Six Senses target as an exciting thing, because this is a they have one hotel open.
2: Uh, <laughs> yes, but, but, uh, but, 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 um... I think that what they're doing here is in terms of the Whitbread model, which they're, they're either going to be lease or they're going to be uh, freehold properties, they're committed to driving that. And Whitbread is not the sort of company that's going to announce a 60,000 room target unless it thought there were real prospects of getting there. So I actually think, um, and it's interesting that they put up those list of targets, and of course they're not saying, we are looking to buy these, because that's going to give them all sorts of issues, but I do think they will be buying one or more of them. I think that there's going to be an acquisition here um, and I think I think it's very interesting in terms of seeing a, a British company actually making some proper forays overseas um, and, and I think I think that what's going to be very interesting to watch is, is this Accor versus Whitbread play in Germany, how that comes out. Accor are currently the number one player there in this space, especially in the economy lodging space in Germany and um, there's a lot to play for um, you've got, of course, you've got IHG, you've got Hilton as well, having a go here, less so Hilton, but certainly IHG. Uh, and and it, it, I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't am say thrilled at this, but um, I, I, it's going to be a very interesting one to, to watch. And I, I, th- I think there were some other things that came out of the Capital Markets Day, which I think, you know, we, we, we can... Overlook um, and not give Whitbread the credit it deserves. So one thing that came out, he's actually increased the amount of direct distribution. Um, it's now 97 percent, 97 percent of all its rooms it sells are direct. That's an incredible proportion, far in a way that the, the most of any major hotelier anywhere in the world. Uh, it's incredible. And I think you know, Whitbridge should enjoy plaudits for achieving that. If you look at uh, Travel Lodge in the UK, um, it, it doesn't get into 90%. It's about 89% according to Whitbread. If you look at Ibis or you look at uh, Holiday Inn Express, they're down at 80% or so. Um, so w- w- what you know what they've achieved here i think is is pretty incredible that they're anticipating to have a a double digit market share in the overall uk accommodation space by 2020 you know they are they are quietly boringly um getting a real grip on the market here now there is a big we've been talking about their need to do something germany for over a decade um and well need to do something overseas to be fair 10 years ago so what we were talking about and it's only in the last few years they've really focused on germany but they've got a desperate need to actually push beyond the uk and i think there's clear signs that this is going to be done it's going to be done in a meaningful way and isn't it true that
0: the uh, the STR figures show that the pipeline in quite a few German cities is quite scarily large? So surely there might be some opportunities to pick up some casualties along the way.
2: Maybe, and I think I think you you you. Um um, a light and very good point Chris um, which is I think that the, there is a clear signs of overheating in the German property market and Whitbread is right to be a little bit cautious um, it can't just go in all guns blazing and um, it's doubtful we're going to see some sort of almighty crash in, in, in property values but um, I, I think but will that will have to be some sort of leveling off um, and I think that, that that's the point at which Whitbread can um, really
0: engage. So let's turn to our third topic, which is the uh, UK's Competition and Markets Authority. They've had their schoolmasterly ruler out, and it's been wrapped across the knuckles of uh, uh, several online travel agent companies. Um, They've been told they've got to clean up their act. They've been given quite a few months to sort things out. Um, Catherine, would you like to run through the... uh, the list of misdemeanours. Oh,
1: yes, the unfair practices, misleading sales tactics, hidden charges, deceitful discount claims, and quality of search results. Oh, it's all very perilous. Um, uh, though the CMA was very quick to say that uh, not all six had done all six. So, um, <coughs> so, no bingo there. But uh, yes, yeah, so now they've got to not do it anymore. Um, but the CMA at the very end did have the good grace to say that they would be educating the rest of the sector in terms of best practice, uh, which is what all this is um including hotels because um, a lot of these things are things which hotels have been taught to do possibly by the otas um, as gentle nudging techniques to get the customer over the line so no more gentle nudging for you ladies and gentlemen uh, it's all got to be very clear and uh, no excitement <clears throat> Uh, So, yes, so um, once again, the CMA, possibly not going as far as it could have done, um, but that's the CMA for you. Uh, We've enjoyed all their views on rate parity and all sorts of things down the years, none of which seem to ever come to as much as one would think or certainly as much as the sector would hope in its um, ongoing praying that the OTAs will be somehow outlawed. No outlawing today.
2: I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? There's so much hope can be put into this, and it's fascinating seeing all the the statements by various lobbying groups um, regarding this. Um, as you say, um, the CMA ended its investigation into rate parity back in 2015 and opened this one up in 2017. It's taken them a couple of years to get to this point, and they seem to just as in 2015, the, the net result was very little. The net result here is very little and it's very hard to see what people are getting worked up about um it seems to be a complaint that otas are too good at merchandising they're too good at selling hotel rooms well really is that is that is that a complaint and i think in in terms of what they're saying is you know you've got to have consumer regulation um to limit the excesses of merchandising you have to control it but the OTAs will only be too happy to see you know the uh, controls brought in across the board at a sensible level and here's the rub I think for hoteliers Um, the challenge here is the OTAs do nothing but sell they are retailers Uh, the average hotelier not only has a retail business but they've got lots of other plates spinning at the same time and the simple fact is they're never going to be as effective as the OTAs at the retailing bit. Um, and th- you know the more complicated um, the, the retailing bit gets the harder it is for them to keep up and the further behind they're likely to fall and I think I think actually this is far from a good news story for direct selling this is Arguably a bad news story or an inconsequential story at best I think from from a um, you know for direct sell. Um, from a hotelier point of view so I, I think I think hoteliers have got to be very careful what they're wishing for here um, because there's the and, and they seem to have uh, they have a problem with memory as well so uh, back in 2003 uh, it was IHG that actually introduced um, insisted that um, OTAs have a rate parity clause. Um, IHG and a number of other hoteliers got together and said look you're undercutting us don't keep selling us you have to sell your at the same rate as us and now you know within 10 years of that agreement being made by the OTAs there was big whines about how the nasty otas have inflicted this rate parity clause on the industry when in fact it was the opposite way around and here we go again or well, not quite as badly i don't think but the the whining about you know this retailing practices when all the otas are doing are actually being good at their job as far
1: as yes, i well, Yes i think it'd be interesting elsewhere last week we had um, <clears throat> Expedia's results and Mark Ockerstrom was asked you know how things are going and how things are looking with a downturn imminently approaching as it has imminently been approaching for the last 3 years and he said well you know Uh, In I'm I'm of course paraphrasing because I can't do the accent. Uh, He said, you know, I I think often things go well for us in the downturn. You know, hotels are all desperate and whatnot to sell their rooms. It tends to get quite good. So we'll be interested to see how hotels feel about things come after the downturn when they have all these rooms that they can't sell and they have to go to somebody who maybe is a little bit more proficient.
2: All right, true. I mean, if you're looking at the the GDP numbers are already in a downturn so Germany was was in just avoided a technical recession in the second half of last year that if you look at the numbers in terms of industrial production across Europe they're looking very very grim indeed Um, ironically here in the UK we're sitting here um, saying oh my goodness look at our growth figures they're half of what we are expecting and this is all down to Brexit and then you take a quick look at France or Germany and they're significantly lower than the UK's we are heading for a downturn we are in a downturn um and this you know it's going to be tough for a couple of years it's going to be difficult i don't think it's going to be anything like 2009 but i you know and we might not even i hope we don't get into a technical recession but it's going to get tough and you're absolutely right catherine um hoteliers are going to need um these OTAs to help shift these rooms and they need to grow up a little bit and stop moaning about um, these nefarious allegedly nefarious practices
0: because let's face it once you've used an OTA to get your room filled it's then down to you as the hotelier to love your guest and look after them very well and uh, ensure you maintain contact with them after the event um, you only needed to sell sell the room to them once via an OTA um, if you get your after-marketing correct, isn't It's true.
1: Right? I stayed at a hotel in the Lake District a couple of years ago, very small, tiny, independent uh, hotel, and as I checked out, he gave me a little card and said, if you bit with us direct next time, we'll give you 25% off. Jobs are good. and
2: <laughs> you hard to spent do, money on, on some that, postcards, no, yeah, and it, it, that
1: was about the level of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not hard to do. It's just the the reality is that most hotels aren't very good at doing it. Um, which is a shame, and that's because back to my original argument, they've got lots of plates spinning, and you know, the retailing plate is just one of them.
0: Okay, well, then on that happy note, we'll end this week's uh, Hotel on this podcast. We, we, if the topics might have been boring, we hope our discussion wasn't. Um, so, uh, with that, goodbye, and uh, we'll look forward to you hearing from us next time.